So now we're going to um, get into the Word today, and, and uh, I, really, I was really eager to come back and spend time with you. I haven't been in church in three weeks. Is that even allowed when you're a pastor? <laughs> now, we did do home church with them, which was really a unique experience in Guatemala. We went and like, like had it in their living room, which was pretty cool. By the way, are we doing any blast stuff today? Yeah. Okay, we probably need to go ahead and release the blast. Uh, what is it, Andrew? Is this pre-K? Yeah. Pre-K only? And then the side room right here? Yeah. Is that right? Okay. So, um, so anyway, we... Uh, I was eager to get back and hang out with you. Um, just to tell you what my experience was like a little bit, we had church, we had house church with Ronnie and Lorinda in their living room, and it was literally like, what, 16 or 18 people, like, like just shoved in this little space, and we worshiped God. But I got to tell you, church, we missed you, you know? For those who were, here, who were there, we thought, wow, I mean, it was great to worship in that, and we had, we did communion, we did time in the Word, um, and, and everything like that, and we had prayer, we had song, we had uh, testimony, we had special music, we did all that in the living room, it was really cool, but I can tell you, my heart was like, oh, just to be with the church, uh, who we know and love, it's not that the church isn't global, but it was just a different feel for us, and I know for me, I was longing for, uh, to be reconnected, so I'm excited today. One other thing that was kind of funny is when we were in Chicago the weekend before, by the way, Zach Carter's here this morning somewhere. Congratulations again to him. He was up in Chicago getting married that weekend. But we went, there he is, but we went and we, uh, and we went to uh, the biggest church uh, probably up in Chicago. What's it called? Anybody know? The biggest church in Chicago, if you were guessing, Protestant? Maybe Willow Creek, right? And so we went there because uh, this unknown worship pastor was going to lead worship named David Crowder. And I'm sorry, but Chris is like, we're going. But the funny thing was, Bill Hybels was there, and he didn't preach. And I was like, what? I had never been to Will Creek in my life, and I was excited to hear the word. So I'm pretty stoked this morning to be able to do this together, to get into the word of God and share it uh, with you this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you brought a Bible today, to pick one up. If you didn't, they're on the table for you. And I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of John. We're going to share a few verses this morning and just talk through some things that God's laid on my heart today. So it's the book of John, chapter 4. You know this story, but I want you to look at it again if you, if you, uh, if you haven't in a while. I want you to put eyes on it with me and, and read it with me. So this is what John records. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was in the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, are, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Please pray with me. Father God, we are so blessed to be, honored, uh, to be in your presence today. We are blessed to be gathered here with like-minded believers, and not because we all think the same, but because we all know you as our Lord and our Master and our Savior. And therefore, we magnify and glorify your name because of who you are. We thank you for a chance to come into your house and sing praises, dedicate babies, and just pin everything on the eternal hope we found in Jesus Christ. And we pray today that as we open your word, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would soften our hearts for truth, and that we could respond to the truth that you have for us today. May the words that I share not be mine, but yours. May you intercede between my mouth and the ears of hearers that your word might be known, that we might be drawn nearer to you, that we might know more fully how awesome and wonderful you are. You are beautiful. You are worthy. And we've come today to worship you through everything, including this time in your word. We pray these prayers in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's probably a story that most of us have heard before, the story of the, uh, of the woman at the well, as they call it, right? And it's funny, because uh, she does have a pretty major role there with, uh, in, in her interaction with Jesus. But I found it striking to me. God just had it on my heart to talk about this passage of Scripture. And we've, we've talked about it before, maybe even recently. I was trying to think about the last time we had talked about this passage. But what God really had on my heart was maybe something different that we, because we usually go past where I stopped reading, and I know there's a lot more in this verse. But I want to kind of just talk about something we talked about three weeks ago whenever I was here, or four weeks ago whenever I was here, about real-life discipleship about what it really looks like to, to, to follow the command that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I, my question is, and I said that to you a few, about a month ago, burning in me is, how do you really do that? How do we really fulfill that command? I don't mean of our own power, but I mean in the way that Christ would have us fulfill it. And, you know, one of the things that we, we did um, in going to Guatemala, part of our intention was to go and to share what? The good news, right? We call it the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the news that could totally change your life. No, the news that will totally transform your life when you understand it. You will never be the same if you understand the good news of Jesus Christ. We just had about 70 people out in the woods of Missouri sweating profusely for like a whole, what, nine days or something, counting set up and tear down. Why? Because camp is fun? Yeah, camp is fun. Why? What, what, what causes a counselor to take a week off of work, to, to use a vacation time, to go to pay a fee to go to a camp to sit with six stinky teenage Girls. Okay, I was going to say boys, but, you know, they both stink. I mean, we were in our daughter's cabin. Chris was. She's like, oh, my gosh, this is not good. If you, I mean, what, what would compel someone to do that? Because hanging out with stinky teenagers is fun. It is kind of fun. But no, that's not what compels them. 
What compels Lori Stoker to take a week off of work and to pile up notes this thick to talk to third through fifth graders and, and, and to be anxious because of the audience she has? Why? Because she's intimidated by little kids? No. It's because we want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lori was concerned because she wants to accurately, you know, share the good news of Jesus with these children. Counselors set, and they listen to the kids fighting and all the angst and the chigger bites and stuff of camp, and I can tell you that their heart is this, how can I share the good news of Jesus with these kids? And, you know, you would say, well, hey, those are church kids. They already know it. That's true, but not all of them really understand it. Not all of them have fully grasped the salvation of Jesus Christ. And, and they, we're all hurting in some way. And so the question becomes, how can we share the good news? The word that we use in the church for this is evangelism, right? Evangelism means bearing good news. And we went to Guatemala, and we would show up and do stuff. The question in, in our hearts was, how can we share the good news with them? That was a real deal breaker. And I'm not going to unpack that today for me, but how do you do that? out of your culture, out of your, you know, income level, out of your zone, completely out of your comfort zone? How do you share the good news of Jesus Christ? Too many times we think about evangelism and sharing the good news and we get it wrong. We don't get it right. And what I talked about a month ago was that it's something that has to be like almost a natural outcropping of our life. We have to live life and then share the good news as we live life. I think in some ways, I make it too complicated. I'm not sure if you do the same thing. All evangelism is, is talking about the awesome truth we found in Jesus. That there was no righteousness among men. None. You know, I know we all know it says that in Romans, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you know the psalmist writes that everything is corrupt and impure. Nothing is holy. It's a big problem that we had. And when Jesus came to earth, he came as this eternal uh, proclamation by God that nothing is impossible for God. And that even unrighteousness can be made righteous through the power of God. And, and what happened with Jesus on the cross, which we put over here today so you could walk past it on, the, on your way in and out of church today, that we could contemplate, that we think about what it costs to buy righteousness for us. The good news of Jesus is that he came willingly to give his life, that we could all have eternal life in him, that we could have salvation and peace with God, the home we talked about up here with the lay family. The good news. But you see, what we hear this morning from the Gospel of John is this kind of interesting encounter that Jesus has. And I want to kind of talk through it and, and think about really what's happening here. You see, because Jesus was a Jew, and he was, making, he was making disciples, as the thing, as the word said. And the word actually says that there was people upset because he was so successful in his ministry. And for this reason, he returned to Galilee. Now, I can't tell you the backstory behind why that is. I think that's an interesting study to do sometime about why he had to go back to Galilee. But we know that he had to go through Samaria. And on the way through, he has this encounter. And the encounter is over water. It's over water. We spent uh, time in Guatemala. And one of the things, what, what, what are you told if you leave the country for Mexico or Central America at all? What do everybody say to you? Everybody. Huh? Like, people who have never left Highland 
And by the way, have you had Highland water? I drink it, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it's, 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 you know, good and bad sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I think, but, but people who have never left Highland, like my grandma who never left the farm says, don't drink the water. What? So all week, Team Guatemala and our boldness for Jesus Christ drank bottled water. Yeah, we're big risk takers. Every morning you would stand at your sink and you would crack open a bottle and you would pour it on your toothbrush. <laughs> oh, don't want to get sick. And we drank our water. I mean, it was a big deal. We had to haul our water into the work sites and haul it out. We had to have water everywhere we went. We, we couldn't think about it. You washed your hands and, you know, and you dried your hands off. or I mean, anything you did, we were like, oh, don't let the water touch you, especially not your mouth. Bad things could happen. Now, see, here's the funny thing. For most of us, when we think about going and not drinking the water, this is what we think about. Huh? When someone says, don't drink the water, we think. Oh. Gross. That's what we think. We think, don't, don't drink the water. I'll have bottled water instead. You know? This is what's in our head. Look at how gross it is. Here's the truth what we saw in Guatemala. You see, their water came right out of the faucet. Not all the water. We saw rainwater. We saw all kind of water. We saw mud holes that dogs drank out of. But you see, this is funny to me because... We weren't saying no to this. We were saying no to this. Why? Don't want to ruin the trip. Dangerous. Grandma said don't drink the water. And we didn't. Now, I actually heard a rumor after we got back that some people didn't know you weren't supposed to brush your teeth with it. And they brushed their teeth with it all week. And now they're amongst you and they're disease-ridden. I want to walk through this passage of Scripture, and I want you to hear what Jesus does. You see, as a Jew, he had to go through Samaria, and Samaria was unclean people. They were people that you couldn't touch, talk to, associate with in any way. But I want you to hear what Jesus says about these three glasses up here. He had to go through Samaria, and read with me, it says in verse 4, now that he went through Samaria, in verse 5, he came to a town called Sychar, where the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph, was. By the way, that's an Old Testament story. You should check that out if you don't know what it is. But it's a big deal, this land that Jacob gave to Joseph, this well. And Jacob's well was there. And listen to what the story says about Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the sovereign God of the universe. It says this, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. So you have Jesus, and we always, I don't know if you think about Jesus like I do, we think about Jesus like, you know, super Jesus, like all-powerful, and he is, all-knowing, and he was, I mean, able to do anything, and he could, and yet, in his humanity, Jesus is walking through Samaria, and he sees a well, and he's exhausted, and the word says, as tired as he was, Jesus sat down next to the well. 
hanging out with the locals. As a matter of fact, the word says it was about the sixth hour. There's only a few times in Scripture that the hours of the day are mentioned. It's because they're important. But all I want to point out this morning about the sixth hour is it's about noon. I want you to think about the heat of the day today. Now, I don't know what the weather was like there, but I can tell you, like, on a day like today, right about noon is when you get in the air conditioning. You know, you want to maybe definitely watch movies or have some downtime, take some naps. Because from, like, noon to 3, it's just killer. About 4 o'clock, it starts getting nice again. But here's Jesus at the, at the heat of the day. He'd been traveling apparently all morning. And around noon, he just pew, sits down by the well in the community of Samaria. By the way, it's funny that it's called uh, Sikar. Kind of funny. And so he's sitting here by the well waiting. And here comes this woman. And she's going to draw water in the middle of the day. And as he's sitting there waiting by the well for God knows what, okay, he asks her a question. He says, will you give me a drink? Now, some of us who are more theologically oriented would say, well, Jesus is just setting her up for the big question. He doesn't really want a drink of water. He's not really going to do it. He just wants her to fall for the bait so he can gotcha with the word of God bringing the gospel, you know, to all people in all ways. But I want you to read what the word says literally. Tired as he was at high noon, tired from his journey, he was sitting by the well. And in this place of human need, in this place of thirst, he sees a woman coming to draw water, and he really says to her, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? There's something else that's interesting because even his disciples, apparently who would have been responsible for drawing the water for Jesus, had gone to town to buy food. So he was alone, talking to a woman, asking for water. Now, this may not seem shocking to you or I, because you or I, you know, we think uh, it's Jesus, and it's, you know, we just don't really think about the way the Scripture reads. But I want you to maybe think about it like this. If you or I... We're compelled to travel to St. Louis, Missouri for some reason. And we had gotten up extra early and started walking. And somehow, by the grace of God, around noon, we were just down on, you know, like uh, um, Martin Luther King Boulevard in East St. Louis. We were just down right around the projects. Oh, by the way, all our buddies had taken off to buy some food for us. And we were sitting there by this rusty old hydrant when someone who we thought maybe could have killed us as soon as look at us came up and we had to say to her, can you give me a drink? You know, see, the response that the Samaritan has is the response that, that many would have in this situation. And it was like, you ask me for a drink? Don't you know who I am? And the question is really, and what's interesting actually as well, is that uh, another way that this verse is translated is that Jews do not even use the same dishes that Samaritan uses. Jews, is, Jews will not even use the same glassware. 
You see, because it's not so much about what's in the glass, it's about what's on the glass. I want you to think about it. You ask that question, will you give me a drink? And they go, yeah, I'll get you a drink. And they pull an old cup out of their pocket or out of their satchel. You know, it's a homeless. And they fill it up and they go, here, how bad do you want a drink of water? All of a sudden, you're starting to think, you know, I'm okay. I feel okay. Because, you know, you can see the lip prints on the glass. Does that bother any of you? Does it bother any of you whenever one of your own kids takes a drink from your water bottle and they put their tongue in it? Do you know how to drink it? And when they pull it away, there's that spittle. And it goes in the bottle. What do you say? You can have that. <laughs> yeah. I want to tell you something about Jesus the Christ. He was willing to drink the water. He was willing to drink from a Samaritan glass. He was willing to ask for it and to do it, to follow through. He was willing to receive a drink from her. And she says, don't you even know? I'm going to have, I have germs. I have, you, your people hate my people. I'm not worthy. I mean, what are you going to, you're going to drink this? And I just find that really, really interesting. That Jesus himself was willing to drink from the Samaritan's cup. Now the conversation does turn here. But I, I want you to see the vulnerability of Jesus and his truth when he says, it's noon, I'm thirsty, I'm tired, I'm sitting down, I need a drink. And his willingness to extend himself to receive a drink. If we don't understand about Jesus, that he would drink from a Samaritan cup, you know, a stranger at a well, that he would receive that cup and, and be appreciative of it, we can't possibly understand the truth of Jesus Christ, who being fully God, became man to save us. Because there's a lot bigger a jump from being holy, pure, and divine to human than there is from being human to drinking from a Samaritan cup. You understand that? I mean, it's a big deal. And we don't understand Jesus and his willingness to, uh, the word is condescend, to come to our level to save us. I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, I didn't drink the water. And I'm not bagging on people who didn't drink the water. I mean, it, you know, because it's safer, you know. You're going to come home and not be sick, hopefully. But there's something in Jesus' drinking of the water, our willingness to drink of the water, that's instructive to us and in how we should live our lives, take risks for others. But here's something even more interesting. There are uh, people, I, I guess the question is, if you were offered pure water, would you drink it? If you were offered like guaranteed, pristine, perfect, wonderful, the best water you've had in your life, it just as a gift, would you receive it? What do you think, yeah or no? You think you would, really? Because three weeks ago, I was on the streets of Chicago, when we were going down to Taste of Chicago, and there were people on the street corners, and they were holding out water, and they were saying, free water, free water to the thousands and thousands of people who are going down to eat food and pay $4 for Dasani, okay? And do you know how many people I saw stop? 
That was my wife. And I was even like, what are you doing? And she took it, and we walked away with free water. And as we walked down the sidewalk, there was this guy next to us. And he was sweating, he was hot, and he was thirsty. And he looked at my wife with her free water, and he said, well, I thought there was a catch. If I'd known it was really free water, I would have taken it. You see, Jesus says this. He says to the Samaritan woman, if you knew who you were asking, you would ask me for a drink. And it would be pure. And it would quench your thirst. He says, as a matter of fact, it would become a wellspring inside of you that brings forth refreshing water. Do you want it? So many people just pass by Jesus' offer for clean, pure water. He condescends and he drinks our junk. He drinks our nastiness and our lipped up glasses. And then he turns to us and he says, I'll drink this, you have this. And how many people look at Jesus and say, nah, I'm fine with my nasty, dirty water. It's, it's just crazy that we do that, that we won't receive the gift from Jesus. See, by coming in and, and, and taking our dirty water and giving us pure water, Jesus breaks all the rules. He turns the whole system on his head, the system of who has and who doesn't has, who deserves and who doesn't deserve, who is sinful and who is pure. And he does it through his righteousness and his holiness and his godliness that only he can do. And so, like the Samaritan, we stand at the well with Jesus. And we might think, well, Jesus needs something from us, you know. He needs me to work harder for him, or he needs my money, or he needs my devotion, he needs my prayer. And Jesus is saying to us, if only you knew the person you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you eternal water. I want you to imagine if this was your glass and you drank it your whole life. It's all you'd ever had. And the locals where you live would say when you went to the neighboring town, whatever you do, don't drink the water. And a stranger came to you and said, have a drink. What would the first drink taste like? What would it mean to have no sediment, no, no, no gross, no nothing, just pure, refreshing, beautiful, holy water? That's the experience that so many of us have in Jesus Christ. The first taste was not enough. In Matthew, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love that. As we think, nah, our water's fine. I hope that you and I can be the kind of people who are drawn to drink more water, to be more like Jesus, to have more of his cup. And it's not because, you know, when you, one time you gave your life to Jesus, but it's that continual desire to have more purity, more holiness, more beauty in your life that is born of God, that is given by God. 
and we can be perpetually refreshed in Jesus. I, I don't know if you know Jesus like that today, and I don't know if you've known Jesus like that at one point, but you think, man, it's been a cesspool lately. It's all stagnant and nasty. I don't even know where the pure water is anymore because Jesus promises it'll be eternal water welling up inside of you, not for a while, but forever. And if that's you today, I'm gonna invite you in a moment to just pray to Jesus to receive the water again, to receive nourishment and, and, and you know, cleansing a new taste of his kingdom. But if you've never received him as Savior, I'm telling you, it's a drink that you'll never forget. And he came to drink this so that you and I can drink this. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of the gospel. We thank you so much that you would love the world so much you would send your only son to die, that our sins might be forgiven, that we could have eternal life in you. We thank you so much that we've had that taste of eternity, and it's good, it's so good. And we pray today, Father, you know, we, we just repent. We just turn away from all the times we got our nastiness and we're just drinking it. And we're like, no, because it's mine. It's better, Father. I, 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 I confess to you that we do that too often. And I pray that we would throw out our nasty water. And we would only drink from your faucet, only drink from your cup. That we could receive everything you have for your people. That we could be wholly and completely and utterly dedicated unto you. We look around and we see brokenness and sin, hurt and pain, and we want to minister and share, Father. But we pray it would come from a cup that overflows that you have inspired inside of us, something that your word is pouring out from us. And today, Father God, if there's a friend here who does not know you as Savior, who thinks it's just religion, just a bunch of rules or something they're going to do to make themselves feel better about their life, I pray that you would break that in their spirit, that they would know the truth of the gospel of a God who loved them so much that he would come and be right here in the mess with us to save us. More than that, that he would take on the mess himself and set us aside and say, this one's pure. This one's holy. This one is beautiful to my Father. If that's you today and you're here, I want you to know that you can pray to receive this gift from Jesus, that you can have it today for free. Thank you, Father, for that. And then for those of us who have gotten, you know, just stuck in the, the grossness, the stagnant uh, pond of life, I pray we would have new water. Not, not for the sensational new, Lord, but that we can know it's you and not us. It's your work and not ours. It's your life and not ours. As we heard this morning, it's your plans and not ours. We trust you with everything, and today we give you thanks and praise for Jesus Christ who makes all things possible from salvation to worship to eternity in heaven. We are not worthy to receive him, but we thank you for the gift. We pray this prayer of thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.